With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. When you need to know what's going on around the world, stay with Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the fourth and final hour of Weekends with Jason Olborn. And for mine, it's the last show of the year. And like you who are watching and listening, I too am looking forward to a Christmas break and a good recharge of the batteries as we look back on last year, or the year that we are currently living in, and then, of course, preparing for 2024, which, as Chris Smith has promised, may yet be the biggest year of news on record. There is just so much that is going on. And what is it that is the news story of the year that's affected you? Is it something, a continuation? Is it the breakdown in different news narratives? Perhaps it's around COVID. Perhaps it's around inflation or interest rates. It could be anything, really, that's the story that you've noticed that's made a profound difference in the people that you are otherwise not getting along with. What is it that's been the story that's woken someone up? Has it been that somebody's realised that booster number 12 was a booster too far? Or was it that people realised that they no longer like going to work in an office and have started a new career working from home. There's just so many different things that you can think of that's possible that how our lives have changed. Has your life changed for the better? Have you used this situation to change the way that you view the world? Have you cut your spending habits? Have you stopped throwing away disposable income and planning for new ideas? Have you started traveling again or have you stopped? I noticed in Havoye's show earlier today, he said that he doesn't like traveling anymore. And there are other people that are saying the same thing. They're just things that you can't tolerate, such as being herded like a sheep into an aeroplane and treated like a fool because you don't believe a narrative that we've worked out doesn't work anyway. There are many, many things that we can think about as we move along into 2024 and wonder how it will change. And if we will get to a new world, that means that things will be better. Are you looking forward to the names of the Epstein Associates being released on January the 1st? some 170 names, and do you think that that will make any difference in the way that news is reported when it turns out that some people shouldn't necessarily be as powerful as they are for the relationships that they keep? Now, one such thing that has got me through this year has been the creation of new comedy, and one of those superstars is a fellow called Jim Brewer, and I'm sure you've heard of him, and you can find his stuff around the place. He's been on many different shows, but it was his awakening in real time that really appealed to me. What I'm going to do now is play you a clip of Jim Brewer as he was asking, what's going on? What (laughs) is going on? if you're divided politically even you have to admit even if you're like I don't care as long as it's not you know who (laughs) that was like a demonic like the devil came out and just whoever we're gonna make people hate Donald Trump hate get him 
racist. He's a dead white supremacist. He's a insurrectionist. He's a, he's, they lynch people. Even. And I'm going to blame you because I saw the news channels. I saw them saying, he's racist. He's sexist. You would just wake up to pee in the middle of the night. He hates Mexicans and he, he says they're rapists and he hates black people. And he, what? They had, remember the Women's March? We're gonna march! I have a vagina! I have a vagina! Oh, they knew what a woman was then. And that was just a glimpse of Jim Brewer's latest special, and he's had a few of them this year, and they have certainly been able to provide some desperately required comic relief. But part of comedy is truth and the reality of what really creates the humour is very, very important. And whilst Jim Brewer's been around for a very long time and Saturday Night Live and various other things, he's got one of those rubbery clown-like faces, there's also a serious side to Jim Brewer, and he was interviewed recently by Glenn Beck. Here's another glimpse of the mind of Jim Brewer. You had mayors, despicable, disgusting. <clears throat> They're not human. They're disgusting, and they should be held accountable, all of them. Every single last one of them, every mayor, every governor that shamed you, terrorized you, tore your family apart, made you lose your job, divided everybody. That was the most disgusting display of humanity. And these are the people that are controlling my life and your life that they're taking my money from and doing whatever mm -hmm. they want with it. I don't have a choice where my taxes go. That time, that's how I saw it. I saw it as a complete takeover. And then in, in my own house, you know, these kids are all indoctrinated. So the kids are like, dad's crazy. Mm -hmm. Hey man, your father's putting up. And I, I saw what they were going through. I had nieces. You know, I had my daughter come up to me and a niece that I love said, uh, dad, is everything cool because Everyone thinks you're, you know, mm -hmm. you're making wacky videos. I felt we're at war. A hundred percent. This is war, however you want to describe it. It's a war in your common sense. It's a war on the control of your life. It's the war on your spirituality. It's the war of your conscience and your mind. And it's not a game. It's real. Unfortunately, humanity doesn't believe that evil exists, and boy, does it exist. Does. And you'll be horrified when you realize where they're all located. And I'm not sure some people can handle that, but I think the ones that can are very ready. Very ready. They're done. Are you ready? Are you ready to see what Jim Brewer was talking about reappear or appear for the first time that maybe we can get to some real truth and the gatekeepers, whoever they are, are finally exposed once and for all and held accountable for what it is has been put on this planet in the way that somehow there's meant to be 
a new plan that's going to fix us all up, used through fear and catastrophe as being the only way to corral the human being? Or is it just a game for an elite power structure to control all aspects of our lives, even what we have to put into our bodies in order to participate in said society? It's this point that I think it's worthwhile to bring in probably one of the greats, if not the greatest comedian of all time. Let's now hear from the famous clip from the one and only George Carlin. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They want obedient workers, obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. It's a big club and you ain't in it. Feels like it, doesn't it? Quite incredible that that George Carlin clip is absolutely timeless. And I trust that everyone watching is now familiar with George Carlin and probably knows more about Carlin than anyone else, because I think you just have to become a George Carlin fan one way or another, because he just speaks so much truth to the matter. Now, comedy is for all intents and purposes, something that provides us incredible amount of relief in real world applications. And it's very important that we must learn to laugh at ourselves. This next comedian is related to me. He is the, uh, well, one of the uh, partners in the Newcastle Comedy Club. And I saw this particular joke, I asked him and he said, look, yeah, you can use it on your show one time or another. And I feel like it's Christmas. I just want to say thanks for his support and thanks for your support. This is a joke that goes towards opportunity and making of it what you will. It is just humour after all. Here's James Connors. My parents were forensic cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> Cleaning up dead bodies. So from about age 12, whenever I was too sick to go to school, dad's like, well, you're not too sick to come to work. And then I chirped up real quick. I was like, actually, I'm fine. <laughs> Yeah. I miss dissecting things in high school because I was doing the real thing <laughs> out in the real world, you know? It's kind of a weird thing because you, like, make money off people's tragedy as a forensic cleaner and you have to, like, come to terms with it, you know? Like, there was this one guy, uh, double homicide, suicide, killed his wife, killed his kid, killed himself. Tragedy. But then my family got to go to Bali. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
question, huh? It's a, is, is that the circle of life? I don't know. Should we be laughing at other people's misfortune? Well, it's just comedy after all, and that's the most important thing. You grow a thick skin, you take laughs where there are laughs to be made, not at anyone else's expense, of course, but just at the idea that good old comedy is good old comedy. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we're going to have a politician on this show, even after I played that George Carlin clip, and we'll see if Senator Ralph Babette has a thick skin and can laugh at himself. You're watching and listening to Weekends with Jason Alborn here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Hervoy Morich. Approximately 650,000 Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left Ukraine for Europe since the start of the war. It's a tough spot if your country is being invaded. Uh, that's one thing and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but you know, if, the war, if it's a globalist war, I, I wouldn't want to participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars and most of them just uh, are Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio TNT As a combat wounded veteran I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life When I was in Iraq our vehicle was hit a rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat traumatic brain injury a fractured pelvis severe burns they didn't think I was going to make it I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas. May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends with Jason Olborn, and I'm delighted to have your company so far and continuing on this brand new show here on TNT Radio. And I trust that you've enjoyed our guest today, Havoye Morich, joined me in the first hour, and we had a great discussion about the way that he sees the world from the other side of the microphone. We had a nurse practitioner, Gail McRae, explaining what she's up to, an incredible amount of work and discovery that we saw in, in her life as she lived through the COVID period and realised what others couldn't see and the work that she's been doing since. And the last hour we had Barry Nussbaum on from Maui, got an update from what's happening over there and also with his work in the American Truth Project and what was happening in Israel and Gaza in a very different perspective as well. Well, imagine if you put your hand up in the middle of COVID and decided that what you wanted to do was say that I will do whatever it takes to defend what being Australian means. And part of that is freedom and the right over bodily autonomy. Doesn't sound like a weird thing for Australians to do, but that's exactly what happened. What if you put your hand up along with hundreds of other people and you were the only one to get elected to parliament? How would that affect your life? Well, we're going to find out right now after almost a year and a half in elected office as a senator for the United Australia Party for the state of Victoria. 
Here comes Senator Ralph Babette. Ralph, welcome back to TNT Radio. G'day, mate. Thank you for having me on on this. Uh, well, for those of you that are watching this after the fact, it is a Saturday afternoon here in Australia. Uh, hard to believe that it's been a year and a half already. Where has the time gone? Time of my life that will unfortunately never get back, but we're doing what we can. We're fighting the good fight, the good fight for, you know what, common sense and traditional Australian values. But you know what? Someone's got to fight that fight. That someone is me right now. And my hope and my dream and my desire is that at the next federal election, you watching at home right now, mum and dad or young guy or girl uh, on your couch, on your phone, wherever you might be, you decide to throw your hand up for federal parliament or state parliament or even council, whatever it is. The point is, I need you to get active because um, the world that we live in today is not as black and white as we would like it to believe. And there are people in power right now that shouldn't be there. You know what? It should be you. You should be there, whoever you are watching this podcast. But thank you, Jason. Good, good on you, Ralph. I appreciate that because it's a really important stage. Just because you get into a position and you're in office, etc., doesn't mean you're always a politician. It doesn't mean that there's some weird spell or something in the water down in Canberra that makes you turn a certain way. You're allowed to be a maverick. And who would have thought that I'm going to quote Paul Keating right now, but it was Paul Keating that said that in politics, only the maddies, that was the word he used, are the ones that can get things done. And he regarded himself as a bit of a maddie. So you have to be an outlier in politics just to be able to gain some sort of traction to get your voice heard in there. And remembering that there's what, some 230 elected um, parliamentarians in both houses, that's a lot of work to do to be heard. So how do you go about in parliament just getting out there for your maiden speech when you went and did yours for example your, your your maiden speech did you write that all by yourself did you um did you have help in doing it and were you feeling intimidated when you got up finally to be able to do that in the parliament was it as as perhaps as exciting as you were hoping it to be or as as important as as it may have turned out to be how did it all happen mm. So as far as the maiden speech, great question, by the way, as far as the maiden speech goes, I wrote it by myself. But you mentioned one word there, which I want to just focus on for a brief moment. You mentioned intimidation. Intimidation, that's a great word. And that I guess that's how I felt when I was first elected. I was a little bit intimidated. I thought, you know, uh, where am I going into? I'm going into a place of learned men and women. These men and women are so intelligent. They know so much more than what I do. And, you know, am I going to be able to to fit in? Am I going to be able to, you know, have influence? Am I going to be, you know, even able to speak to these people? Because I've seen them on television. I've heard them on radio. I've seen them on social media. I've seen them on Rumble and, you know, the other platforms and things like that. And I just thought, wow, wow, can I do it? And within three minutes of walking into that place, I'm telling you now, these people are borderline um I, you know, I want to use the R word. I'm just going to say it. they're borderline retarded. That's what they are, borderline retarded. Even though I know that's not a politically correct word to say, but you know what? I'm not about being politically correct. I'm about just saying it how it is and just doing what needs to be done. So the message that I have from that for you at home out there that think, um, you know, that uh, Parliament House is populated by these super intelligent, super clever people, I'm telling you now it's not. It's populated that people that, Really, if they weren't in those positions that they're in now, they'd be doing nothing meaningful at all outside of the parliament. I mean, you've got people there that 
have never even run a small business. They don't know how to balance the books. They don't even know how to you know pay their taxes. They don't know how to turn a profit. They they can't do anything, especially the people from the Labor Party right now. And you know what? It shows. It's showing right now with the mismanagement that we're seeing with our country now. I mean, you don't have to be a genius um, to figure out that we're not on a good path right now. You can tell that every time you go to the shops to and you open your wallet. You know exactly how our country is going. You know exactly how our country is going when you uh, get your power bill in the mail. You know how it's going. You know exactly how our country is going because you understand how much more difficult your life is right now than what it was just a few years ago. And it's only been, what, you know, a year and a half or thereabouts of this new Labor government. And look what they've done already. Now, granted, they shouldn't take all the blame. Some of the blame does lie with the Liberal Party as well. But you can't keep blaming the Liberal Party forever like the Labor Party is trying to do now. At some point, you're going to have to say we're in government now. We're steering the ship. It's our responsibility and we have to fix it. And I've heard none of that from this Labor government, none of that at all. So people at home, um, like I was saying in, uh, when I first came on, please get involved in, in, the, in the political process. The vast majority of you out there will do a far better job, a far better job than Minister Chris Bowen. You'll do a far better job than Prime Minister Albanese, who knows absolutely nothing from the real world, he's basically been a career politician all his life. And that's a huge problem because, because of the fact that he's never had a, you know, a genuine real job. He's never lived a real life, not like you have. He's never had to you know, potentially look at, you know, missing a payment on his phone bill or his mortgage or, you know, struggle to, you know, put food in the shopping cart when he's going to the shops and things. He's never done that. You've done that. You have more life experience than uh, arguably than what the prime minister does. And we need people like you, regular everyday people, to be active in the political process because the only people that can change the country for the better is you because you are a normal person from the community. So you understand the pain points that everyday people are going through. But like you said before, you know, my maiden speech is from the heart. I wrote that myself. It didn't take very long to write at all. It only took maybe uh, maybe two, three hours to write it. And um, I took about a whole host of issues in that, all the way from traditional Australian values to uh, overseas influences from the UN, the WHO, global elites, all sorts of things. Now, if you haven't seen my speech, please check it out uh, on my social media uh, YouTube channel. After this, I promise you, you will, you will, you will love it if I don't say so myself. Good, good on you, Ralph. Now, something that you brought up there was this idea of governments blaming the previous government for their woes. I look at it and think that it's an example, a glaring example of the lack of true leadership. Uh, and, and if you're a true leader, you deal with the, the good and the bad, and you it's how you deal with adversity that creates it. I mean, in, in our own lives, when we lose a job, for example, and we run out of money to pay the rent or the mortgage next week, how we, how we evolve in that situation, how we get our hands on money to keep paying the rent. For example, do we, do we, do we sell a motor vehicle? Do we borrow money off our credit card? Or, or, or what do we do when we don't have it? And this is something that no politician that's been in the job for 20 years would even know because they've never had that experience. They get paycheck every month. The money's in the account. It's it's more money than most people get. So they've got no real excuse. 
um, to to have any financial woes. And if you don't have a financial struggle, you can never have um, an ability to become more financially um, educated. And it seems that adversity is the most important tool to get growth. You don't get growth by living inside a comfort zone. You get growth by living outside of a comfort zone. Now, at the same time, no one's advocating for people to undergo adversity or harm. But at the same time, it's the experience that you're appealing to now in the audience that may be watching or today or in the future and saying that, yes, I do recognize those situations and I don't need to be PhD qualified or some form of professor. I don't even need to have a tertiary degree to put my hand up and represent my own community. So that's a really important statement to make there. The other thing I wanted to mention about this leadership blame crossover is I, I sometimes refer to it as followship. I feel like that politicians aren't leaders at all, but they pretend that they are in a procession as, as Mark Latham may have said, a conga line of suck holes was his famous quote. And you have a, a series of followers against playing almost the game of follow the leader, but there is no leader. Is that more of a, a better understanding of, of, of how parliament works today? Well, well, I'm glad you asked that question about leadership. And I'd like to answer that question um, with some of, with some, you know, good experience now that I've been in there for, you know, ab about a year and a half. I'm going to tell you right now that I'll be very careful about the words that I choose here. Your elected parliamentarian is not who runs the country. Tell you right now, they don't run the show. Donald Trump refers to it as the deep state. Fair enough. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put an Australian spin on it. I'll say it's the billabong, right? And the billabong is deep. Um, the people <laughs> that really control uh, the country, you'll never know their name. You'll never see, you, you, you probably will never see them on uh, television. You'll never see a, a written piece of communication from them. And you know who they are? They are the bureaucrats, okay? At the very basic level, it's the bureaucrats. The bureaucrats are the one that run the show in this country. Yes. Because your elected parliamentarian, he or she will come, they'll do their three years, or if they're a senator, they're six years, and then they're gone. That's it, they're gone. The bureaucrat will sit there for a lifetime. Mm. I'm not talking about the low-level uh, bureaucrat that's pushing papers around. I'm talking at the highest levels. These people are in those positions of power for multiple, multiple administrations. They mm. never go. They're in the background, but they don't really even face scrutiny. And they have too much of a hand, I believe, too much of a hand on the direction of the nation. Your elected parliamentarian will come into a room. They'll sit down with the bureaucrat. The bureaucrat will say X, Y, Z, and then they'll you know choose one of the options and that's it which is understandable because your elected uh, parliamentarian is not a subject matter expert on everything. I get that. But I think that um, your elected parliamentarians need to take much more ownership and more of an interest in the direction of the nation rather than taking um, too, much, um, too much direction from these unaccountable bureaucrats in the background. And that's a huge problem with Canberra right now. Huge, huge problem. And we're seeing it manifest in all sorts of ways. We're seeing it manifest right now with the WHO legislation that's uh, coming along. You know, we're seeing it uh, manifest where uh, we take uh, too much guidance from groups like the United Nations, uh, groups like the World Economic Forum, where they have so much influence over the direction of our nation 
because your elected parliamentarian is not um, is not uh, taking as much of an active interest as they should on the direction of where this country is going. That's a huge problem. Absolutely massive problem. And these problems only get solved when regular everyday people stand up and say, I've had enough, and then get involved in the political process rather than sit on the sidelines. I think a big problem that we have right now, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent right now, but I think a bit of a problem that we have is the average person sitting at home, they're not active enough. And I see it all the time, like all these people that are sitting on social media, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever, you know, they're posting comments, they're saying, we're not happy about this. Yeah, I get you're not happy about it, but what are you going to do now? Mm. You're going to have to do something. You can't just complain on Facebook. You can't just complain on Instagram on X. You can't do that. I mean, that's great and all. And, you know, it's good to see that we're part of a community and people are getting unhappy, but you're going to have to do more and you're going to have to join a party. And most importantly, you have to volunteer your time. And you can't be afraid to speak. Now, there's a big push at the moment, Jason, to silence people and mm -hmm. to stop people speaking in all sorts of spheres, everywhere. Do not be afraid to speak. Just say it. I mean, just before I noticed that I was about to do it to myself, I was about to self-censor where I used the word, well, I wanted to use the word retard. Now, I know that I'm going to get flack for that on Monday. I know I will. I know that it's not politically correct. And I was looking for another word in my head, but that's what came to me first, right? I was about to self-censor. And self-censoring is, I think it's it's the biggest tool that the people that run the show have against people like me and people like you at home, where they get you to you know check yourself and think, should I really say that? Do I want to say that? Am I going to get cancelled? It's just one small example of, you know, how these people want to keep you quiet, and I think it's wrong. Look, I uh, agree with you, and the misinformation bill is something that's uh, expected to come up um, uh, next year in Parliament, and we'll have to talk a little bit more about if you've got any specific dates on that. But I want to make reference to what you said before about um, the bureaucrats being in charge. And a perfect example, we saw it during COVID, was on those daily ridiculous press conferences where they would come out and tell you about the number of cases and that tragically a 98-year-old person has passed away from COVID and you're left scratching your head. And then the reporter, one reporter every two, three weeks would ask a question about when these lockdowns would end and the response was always from the minister giving the uh, the, the latest update, well we'll, well, we'll wait for our health advice and we will follow the health advice. And that health advice, of course, comes from an appointed health official uh, in a particular state or the federal um, uh, person in that situation. And these people are the ones that are making all the decisions. So when you see or hear of an, uh, an elected politician almost handing over their responsibility. We're no longer responsible because the health advisor is going to provide that information. What therefore at that point, Ralph, is the purpose of the politician in power? Should they just sit down and say, well, this person is now in charge. I'm just showing you that I have got no real clout here. Why do they just hand over at that point? Or is that an example of how the bureaucracy is really in charge all along? Yeah. Exactly. It's a great example of how, of how the bureaucrats are really in charge. And the reason why the bureaucrats are in charge is because you have people that are elected today that um, don't really care, in my opinion, in my opinion, they don't care about the nation as much as what they should. 
because if they cared about the nation as much as what they should, they would really take accountability and responsibility for every single decision made, right? But they're so quick and so eager to, uh, to you know, pass the buck, so to speak, pass the buck to somebody else. These are not the kinds of people that should be in charge. I didn't elect, you know, um, the the director of XYZ organization, um, I elected you, my member of parliament, to go out and make those decisions uh, on my behalf. So the, the the people that we elect into these positions of great power, we need to be to be more mindful of who they are. Uh, choosing the right people is brutally important for our nation, and it will it will uh, it will be more obvious as time goes by. Uh, when we make those wrong decisions, because the good times, the good times that we've experienced over the last, you know, I don't know, about 50, 60 years or so uh, are coming to an end. Those good times are coming to an end. Uh, we are looking at decline at the moment because consistently for a very long period of time, we've chosen people to lead our nation that unfortunately don't have an Australia first attitude. They have a globalist attitude. So they've uh, they put the interest of globalist organizations ahead of our nation here. I'll give you just one example, all right? One example. Let's look at net zero, for example, okay? Net zero, they will argue that we need to hit net zero because the world is going to burn if we don't. The head of the uh, UN, uh, what's his name? Guterres, I think his name is, or whatever it is. <laughs> he actually said that, we would, that we're entering an era of global boiling if we don't do more to hit um, lower emissions uh, very, very quickly. Global boiling. I mean, come on, mate, global boiling. That's a whole other thing. But the people that run our country today have basically said, okay, Australia is responsible for, I think about well, probably even less than 1% or thereabouts anyway of global emissions, right? About that. China is responsible for 30 times what we emit right? But they've said, oh, we emit 1%, so we're going to shut down our entire... Let's just assume for a second that we believe that, you know, carbon is going to heat the world, global boil. Let's say we believe it. Mm. They said, okay, we're going to shut our country down as quickly as we can, basically, uh, hand over our, our manufacturing capacity to other nations, reduce our quality of life, uh, make it so that our citizens suffer here while doing absolutely nothing about China that emits 30 times more carbon or, or roughly than what we do, doing absolutely nothing about other nations but sacrificing us here because they've been given a directive from the United Nations to do so. I don't think that's right. I think we have to have an Australia first attitude. And at the very least, if you believe that the science was settled, which it's not, if you believe that um, the climate was going to change detrimentally because of carbon. Even if you believe that, you would go out there and you would fight for Australia and you would say, we're not doing anything unless China does the same. We're not doing anything unless the United States does you know, even more than us. We're not doing anything unless India does the same. At least that, right? But they don't even have the kahunas to fight for Australia. All they do is just sell us down the road every single time. They're the wrong people to be in power. They're not the right people. We need patriots in power, people that love Australia and will put Australia first ahead of anything else. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have. 
And that's the kind of attitude that obviously uh, former President Trump has, number 45 has for his country. We need people here that do the same for us. And we don't have any right now, as far as I can see. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. And, uh, and that goes to what I said earlier about followship. These people in power are happy to follow along with a global agenda and actually neglect their real work, which is to represent the interests of Australians and Australia. Uh, Ralph, I want to take a quick break and we're going to have to jam in a few things into the, uh, the final segment and I'll just lay it out for our audience. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the housing uh, situation. Ralph has a background in, in the family real estate business. I want to ask him also about um, the voice referendum and the sentiment in the post-voice referendum era in the parliament. It seems that it's knocked Albanese's government for a six. And then I'm going to talk about some of um, some more personal stuff about what uh, Ralph, uh, as a senator, a hardworking senator, might happen to be able to do in his very brief spare time that he'll get in the Christmas break. We'll take that break now on Weekends with Jason Albon and be back with more here shortly on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Folks, this happened a few weeks ago, but it's such a heartwarming holiday story. I want you to watch. New York Mets superstar Pete Alonso has a foundation that helps veterans. Here it is. Pete Alonso, his wife, the Alonso Foundation, obviously was influential in helping. Oh, my God. I mean, you never know who's watching in New York City, right? right? Maybe no. he's watching today. If you could say yeah. anything to Mr. Alonso, what would you say to him yeah. right now if you could look? Oh, Sean. Thank, thank you so much. You saved my life. You saved my Sean, we have a... How about you look to the right? Holy <laughs> <laughs> We're on a delay. <laughs> hey, how we doing? Oh. How was it going? Oh. How was it going? Good. Good. Thank Good. you yeah. so much. Yeah, so we have a, we have a gift <laughs> for you as well. <laughs> What's up, Bear? That was What's up, Stud? Uh, and, and then uh, we also have a signed bat for you oh. as well. <sighs> That's a lot to take in. What a great story. Thanks for watching. I'm Steve Malsberg. Thanks for giving me a minute. And don't forget to catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days, they haven't drank anything, they're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. So the country has been long for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Uh, okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. When the whole world seems turned upside down, we sort through it together. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to Weekends, and I'm with Senator Ralph Babette in the final segment of the Weekends show for the year. 
and for mine, it's my final show for the year as well. Now, Ralph, um, I wanted to talk to you about the referendum, the post-voice referendum, and the sentiment within the parliament and particularly the government. It seems that Albanese got a wake-up call and a half when he went down some 61 to 39 in a referendum that it seemed that they were expected to win or at least had that arrogance to think that they were, and it wasn't the case. What has been the uh, the sentiment in the parliament since? Does it, does it feel like or does it look like that because the polling numbers have certainly gone down for Albanese, is he a dead man walking? Has he been profoundly affected by it or is he just sort of just playing along and pretending it doesn't really matter? I'll tell you the sentiment. I'll tell you the sentiment from the political elite, at least the ones that are in power today. In my opinion, the sentiment is that they are disgusted that you, the people, how dare you disobey them? How mm. dare you not do what they say? That's the sentiment that I'm getting from the political class around, this is just my opinion, I'm just going to say it again, it's my opinion, around Canberra right now. They're annoyed that you, the people, uh, had a different opinion to them. They're annoyed that you didn't want to divide the nation based on race. That's, this is, which, which is what it was. It was let's let's look at for some you know some um, let's look at some uh, different ways that we can divide this this uh, mm. country. And why do they like division so much? Why do they like the political elite love division? They yes. love to divide the country in all sorts of different ways because a society which is divided is easier to control. That's the cold, hard fact. When we're busily bickering amongst each other on silly, stupid things, you know what? They have more power. They have more influence. They can dictate the direction of the country in a much simpler way when we're fighting amongst each other. And that's what The Voice was about. It wasn't about bringing the nation together at all. That's not what it was about. If you want to bring the nation together, you focus on things that make us the same. You focus on things that we can all agree on, the love of country, patriotism, you know, um, our shared values, which we all have. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or on the right, you know, love of family, that kind of thing. That's what you focus on. You don't Look. focus on, you know, racial things. I think that's wrong. And I think it was, it's pretty clear, but it was a very uh, deliberate attempt um, to, 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 to tear the country apart. But oh, obviously, yeah. you know, it's had some repercussions for the prime minister as well. I mean, the prime minister is, uh, you know, um, not as popular as what he was when he first took office. And of course, he's not as popular as he <laughs> was when he first took office. I'll give you an example. <laughs> right now, it doesn't matter what you think about the conflict in the Middle East right now. We all have different views, fair enough. And we can argue till we're blue in the face about, you know, um, uh, where we all sit on that uh, conflict. But. The fact of the matter is, is for those of you who don't know, the United States um, has put together a coalition of about 10 countries, uh, including the UK, uh, I think Canada is, is part of it as well, um, and a few other countries, have come together to defend uh, the Red Sea from rebels. Now, they're not going, they're coming together to defend trade in the Red Sea from Houthi uh, rebels at the moment. And they asked Australia, they said, Australia, uh, would you mind sending one of your ships to help out, you know, defend uh, shipping lanes and keep trade open from rebels? And the prime minister said, no, we're not sending um, a ship over to help you, the uh, United States. We're just not going to do it. Now, the, the uh, US is one of our major trading partners, one of our major security partners, and the PM didn't even have the balls to say, okay, uh, our partners need our help. Uh, our AUKUS partners need our help. Let's send a ship. He just said no. 
That's just one example of the prime minister being a weak beta male. I think he's, that's what I think he is. I think he's a weak beta male. And he seems to be doing everything right now to bring our nation into disrepute. Uh, mm. He is spitting in the face of our allies is what he's doing. And of course, people are going to be unhappy with him. Of course, his approval rating is going to go down. I just gave you one example. Another example was that he was recently praised by Hamas. He was recently praised by the Hamas, uh, one of the Hamas head honchos quite recently um, for his stance on Israel and Palestine. No matter what you might think about that conflict, the fact of the matter is, is our prime minister was praised by the leader of what we recognize as a terrorist organization. Okay, now I'm not advocating for, you know, uh, the suffering of the civilians that's happening right now in Palestine. That's horrible. And I'm just saying that our prime minister was praised by one of the leaders of Hamas. Our prime minister, in my opinion, spat in the face of our closest ally, the United States, beta male. And when you go to the shops, when you get your power bill, when you go to, uh, you know, Coles or Woolworths or wherever else you decide to do your shopping and you open your wallet to pay and, you know, you've, you've filled up half a trolley and it costs you 300 bucks, of course, his approval rating's down. He's a, he's a weak leader. He's ineffective. He doesn't care enough about our country. And I think, you know, Australians need to show him the door at the next election if they want to have a country left. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems that uh, the, the polls are telling us that Albanese is in a lot of trouble. I checked the odds on Sportsbet and they're getting closer and closer. Labor's still in front, but not by much. Now, the thing I wanted, the point I wanted to make about the uh, the voice referendum, and this is what blew my mind, was that nobody picked up on the fact that the government made it a non-binding voice. It didn't really get much traction from the perspective that if it's a non-binding voice, it means for all the work that was going to be done by the Indigenous community to realise that these were the goals that they wanted to set, the government need only strike it down and say, well, we're not going to do that. It's non-binding. And so it was that the day after, well, when Parliament returned on the Monday after the voice referendum, Jacinda Price walks into Parliament and she, um, she asked the Parliament to investigate the idea of a Royal Commission into Aboriginal child sexual abuse and was not knocked back cold by the same people that were promoting The Voice. Did they have sour grapes or was this a perfect example that The Voice uh, non-binding approach was only ever a tool to trick us? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, ho the, whole, the whole Voice um, process, it was, look, I believe it was an, an exercise in division. That's what it was. It was an exercise in division. It was an exercise in uh, putting in place, you know, what could have been another of another chamber of parliament. What what could have been? We don't know because they never gave <laughs> any detail for the voice. It was an exercise in division. And when they had a chance, when the government had a chance to prove that they actually genuinely cared about Aboriginal people, they just said no. The government overwhelmingly said, no, we don't want to look into what's happening in, in uh, Indigenous communities. Look, if you really cared about Aboriginal people, if you really cared about those remote communities, like obviously Jacinta Price does, then you would have said, okay, there's definitely something to look at here. We need to um, you know, unmask what's happening. We need to lift up the covers. We need to get in there. We need to audit everything, everything that we can, because we genuinely care about Aboriginal people. It's in my opinion, the Canberra elite don't give a stuff about the sufferings of Aboriginal people in remote communities. In my personal opinion, I don't think they do. 
I just don't think they do. Because if they did, they would be doing more on the ground to help these people that are, you know, in these uh, remote areas. But how do you help people in remote areas? How do you do it? It's not with a voice to parliament that was was undoubtedly going to be dominated by, you know, inner city, woke, latte sipping, you know, political elites. You have to get into those remote communities and you have to say, okay, what's the quickest way out of poverty? Education. Let's do more to help with education in that, you know, in those in those areas. What's next? Employment. Let's see what we can do to encourage businesses to go and set up in these communities and provide jobs in those areas. What else can can we do? Minimize red tape, minimize green tape, allow the people themselves to help themselves to bring themselves out of the positions that they're in right now. That's how you would do it if you genuinely cared about, well, it applies to anyone really. That's how you would do it if you genuinely cared about someone and someone's welfare. Education, jobs, that's it. No care at all. And of course, looking into the, you know, all the sexual violence, all the alcohol abuse and all these kind of things that happen over there. I mean, I'll give you another example. Um, what we wanted to do, this is quite a little while back now, is we were looking at things like, you know, um, alcohol bans or uh, 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 putting uh, people that, uh, that uh, receive welfare, instead of basically giving them cash, putting them on a card whereby they couldn't use the card to gamble or buy alcohol and things like that. And the Labor Party was against it, right? If they generally cared about these communities, they would do these sorts of things because whether we like it or not, um, you know, you can't be giving people government money and then they take the, it's not their money, it's government money to go out and, you know, buy buy booze and things like that. And then the community gets even worse and the, and the, and, and, and the sexual violence and all that kind of thing. So I, I actually don't think that, uh, you know, the political elite care that much about Aboriginal people. I just don't. Yeah, it's a, a fair, reasonable uh, argument there, isn't it? That um, that if you really did care, then you would you would just do what you needed to do. And it's this pandering to the idea of, of, of saying, well, no, we can't restrict people in certain ways. For what reason? Exactly. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, Ralph, in the remaining couple of minutes that we've got, I wanted to ask you, given your background in real estate, how is the Australian property market really faring at the moment under 13 or 14 interest rate rises? Look, the mate, the average person is struggling, absolutely struggling. I, I obviously don't work in the family real estate business full time anymore because I'm doing um, I'm in the Senate most most of the time. But obviously, I still talk to my family, and, and you know, mm. and and uh, and and I say, "What's happening out there?" And people just cannot. People can't afford to rent anymore. I mean, if you if you if you rent in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, a, a, a regular four bedroom home, you might be paying six hundred and fifty bucks a week for a you know a regular normal house mm. in some of these areas in the outer suburbs. I mean, ha it, when the average person is probably earning you know not too much over a thousand dollars a week. And you ask them to pay that much. Then you've got your grocery bills, then you've got your phone, then you've got your internet, and then you've got your um, your uh, power bills and everything else. It's really, really hard out there. And you know what? It's only going to get worse because we all know this. This is not a this is not a um not anything new. But uh, the Labor Party has you know greenlit hundreds of thousands. Of, I think at last count, six hundred and fifty or so thousand people more extra migrants that come into the country so far. And we can't. We don't have. 
I'm, now, I'm not, obviously not against immigration. I'm a migrant myself, but it has to be sustainable. And all they're doing right now is, is they've opened the floodgates for anyone and everyone to come into the country. And it's not right. Like, yes, of course, we should have immigration, but we should have it in a sustained way when our, our, when our infrastructure can can and is able to handle it. Let's build homes for the people that are here first. Let's build roads and hospitals and and schools and and everything for the people that are here in Australia. And then once we've done that, then yet then then let's take the best and the brightest from across the world. Don't just open the floodgates, come one, come all. Or even better, why don't we do this? Why don't we encourage people that are already here? to have children? Why don't we put in place policies here to encourage men and women in loving uh, marriages to have their own kids? Why don't we do things like income splitting, which is a United Australia Party uh, uh, policy where we can say, okay, uh, if you're if you're married, you know, husband and wife, as an example, um, husband works, why don't you split your income in between husband and wife, even though wife might be home looking after the kids or husband's looking at home looking after the kids, and then your income is divided amongst both of you so you pay less tax. Why don't we do that instead? So I I think um, this whole this whole push at the moment to you know flood the nation with uh, a whole bunch of immigrants is actually a Ponzi scheme. What it's designed to do is it's designed to make GDP look better. Because mm. I don't know if your viewers might actually know this, but Australia is actually at the, at, at the moment in a per capita recession. So mm. the whole reason why they're flooding people in right now is to, is to fudge the books, basically. That's why they're doing it. And that just goes to show how bad these people are at managing the economy, where they have to resort to such a tactic uh, to you know, to fudge our books instead of being sound economic managers. It's uh, one of the most disturbing things, isn't it? The uh, the idea of using uh, immigration as the one track way of of showing, on paper at least, uh, economic growth when everyone is feeling the pinch, and each day the price of rent goes up and more people are out of the rental market, one way or another. It's quite shocking. Now, Ralph, we've got to the last uh, two minutes of the show, and um, I noticed on one of your social media feeds a little while back, um, you asked the question about uh, people's favourite whiskey, and it seemed that you had hundreds of comments uh, out there about people all were very much armchair whiskey connoisseurs. <laughs> Can you tell me, did you discover anything new out of all of that um, commentary that you received from your, your supporters? <laughs> Nothing new, but, you know, uh, I'll actually say that one of my favourite whiskies is probably just, I'm a simple man. I, I don't mind the old uh, the old dimple 12-year-old of a Johnny Black or something like that. And uh, on a special occasion, you know, I don't mind getting a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label, which is, you know, quite a nice drop. But, uh, you know, I do like my whiskies. I, I guess these days I'm not so much of a beer drinker anymore because I'm getting a bit older now. If I even look at a beer, I just get bloated immediately. So I try, I try and ease off those ones. But I don't mind a whiskey here and there. And, um, you know, one thing that I would love to do actually is uh, maybe sit down with you on one of your channels one day and have like a whiskey night and taste a couple of whiskeys and, you know, talk back and forth and maybe have a cigar or something like that. You, myself and a couple of the, of, of the other influencers, I think it might make uh, an interesting like podcast type type of thing. So I'm, I'm throwing it out there. Get in touch with Jason with uh, uh, Jason, and let's uh, let's do something like that one day, I think. 
I think it makes a lot of sense and it's a lot of fun because at the very least for all the hard work that you've done throughout the last year and particularly the 18 months, you need to be able to let your hair down, recharge the batteries and keep that big grin on your face, Ralph, because it provides us with enormous comfort and realisation that we have at least one warrior in the parliament who is going about doing the work that if we were able to get ourselves elected, we would be doing. And the fact that we haven't uh, is the fact that you represent so many people, not just the people people of Victoria. So I want to take this uh, small opportunity to say thank you for the work that you continue to do, not just for the people of Victoria, but for all people, for the time that you take on this uh, show and other shows that I've done and other people here on TNT Radio. It is greatly appreciated. I wish you and your family a, uh, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I look forward to speaking with you next year. And perhaps it may well be that we light up a, a, a Cuban or a Dominican as we look forward to, uh, to celebrating in the moment in some of those little wonderful things that we do. We have reached to the end of this show. I want to thank everyone for their support this year on TNT Radio. And we will um, we'll go now and more coming up after the break. You've been watching and listening to Weekends with Jason Olborn here on TNT Radio.